0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 4. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by KSG Armory Holsters, Today is Thursday, July 27th, 2023, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by co-host and producer, Matthew Marister. (laughs) Hello, hello. What's up, man? Doing great. I'm glad to be here with you. Today is our news and legislative updates episode. It's actually been a while since we've done this one, I believe, especially legislative updates. Uh, Hasn't been, well, there's definitely been some things going on. Uh, Some of it's been not us, or us not, uh, what's the word? Well, not having time to cover these and or the other thing is there hasn't been as much as what there typically has, you know, what's going on typically during the early part of the year when most legislative sessions are taking place in a lot of states. But there are some really important things we want to update you on today, keep you aware of. So stay tuned for all that. We got news stories out of Minnesota, Massachusetts, Oregon, Illinois, including some critical federal court challenges. And we've got some updates with uh, respect to some some rulings of the ATF, uh, especially on uh, uh, so-called ghost guns. (laughs) Also, how the Biden administration has been illegally funding uh, the passage of red flag laws. Uh, across the country. So we'll touch on that as well. You're not going to want to miss these things. You stay informed, stay up to date on these issues cuz they are super super important. But first, today's episode sponsored and brought to you by Guardian University. This is the place to come for your firearm related and shooting training and education online. Go to guardianuniversity.com. I'll I'll do a more in-depth sponsor message in a moment for them regarding the university. And also the other sponsor of today's episode is KSG Armory Holsters, which of course you can find at ksgarmory.com. So without further ado, let's go ahead and tackle our first story. Matthew. Tell us what's going on with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources banning the use of traditional ammunition on designated public lands. This, according to the NRA, ila.org site.
1: Yeah, so this was uh, something that started back in 2021. Um, they, um, The Department of Natural Resources, um, uh, you know, they got uh, petitions to, and using lead ammunition in some of these um, these areas. Um, I think the article says uh, 56 p- affected parks. Um, and so they wanted to limit uh, uh, the type of ammunition from lead ammunition to more like copper ammunition and, and these types of things that um, uh, under the – the argument, I guess, uh, from reading this a little bit is, is wildlife, uh, habitat, habitat, you know, and, and animals that feed on other animals or, um, you know, you, you shoot an animal and then these birds of prey come and they scavenge or they eat these things and lead, uh, contaminants. And so it's been going on for two years and essentially, um, I guess they just came to a, a, a rule that, They're going to ban the the traditional uh, ammunition on these designated uh, areas, um, which it's interesting because federal is actually um, uh, located in Minnesota, and they wrote like kind of a rebuttal to this, um, which um, you know obviously they're they're talking about the economic impact to their company and the employees, but also that there's actually. You know, federal uh, donates m- massive amounts of money to conservation, wildlife conservation. Hunters obviously are um, involved in conservation of of uh, animals and, and things like that, keeping these these uh, have you know the the balances in order, so one you know doesn't get out of hand. Um, so they kind of propose an opposite uh, side of this to say, Hey, I think what you guys are doing is acting on bad data that, you know, lead ammunition is causing all these problems when there's actually proof that the wildlife, um, environment is flourishing in Minnesota. And it's, it's partially due to, uh, conservation efforts funded by federal and other uh, hunters. So, um, yeah, long story about that, but, um, could be coming to other states as well, you know?
0: And federal is absolutely correct in that sales of their ammunition have directly contributed to conservation efforts as the, one of the federal excise taxes on ammunition for every single round you purchase. Uh, Part of that goes directly to conservation efforts. So they're not wrong about that at all. And I think, um, Federal's position about basically suggesting, hey, these kinds of policy decisions need to be based in science, in you know actual data that shows that lead-based ammunition is, in fact, actually uh, creating these these harms that are claimed, uh, and that uh, you know really that this policy instituted by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is. More purely based on political reasons, based on pressure from environmental and uh, environmental groups. So uh, definitely uh, can understand where federal's coming from, of course. And I, I, this is a very controversial thing. I mean, states like uh, I think California, for instance, uh, I think a number of years ago now banned uh, lead-based ammunition for hunting. Uh, it, At the very least, I know in certain parts of the state, maybe it's all statewide. I don't recall exactly on that. Um, And, you know, one thing there, though, Matthew, is that uh, huge advances have been made in manufacturing lead-free ammunition uh, to where it's a lot more effective than it used to be. Uh, But I thought that one of the things that Federal said in their letter here, I think, is is really – I mean, like, I, I completely agree with this. Where um, they said that um, that it should be based around, hey, let's look at the science, let's look at what the actual data s- suggests, and then let's make correct and proper policy decisions. In fact, I think that's it's incumbent upon us with such policy decisions that they need to be correct and proper and true uh, decisions, not based on the political whims of certain you know special interest groups. And that's essentially what the federal is stating and I'm in complete agreement with that. Absolutely. Let's go now to Massachusetts update on proposed sweeping gun control. This also on the NRA website. website. Uh, and I remember catching a little bit of wind on this, you know, somewhere at one time uh, a while back, uh, but not really hearing much more beyond that. And so but the, but here it came up again in my feed, and this is this is crazy. So basically what what this is is that uh, in June, the legislature in Massachusetts uh, put forth uh, a House bill 4420. and it says it's an act, this is quoting, an act modernizing firearm laws. Hmm. If that isn't code for gun control, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, and so, the the update here is that they weren't able to come to an agreement in the Massachusetts legislature of which committee should be assigned to the initial work on this bill. And so, they basically ended up in, in a stalemate on that and it never got anywhere. Uh, and so, for right now it's not going anywhere but that doesn't mean it's not going to come back later on this year and and if it, at the very least this bill gives us very clear insight into where they are going next like where where the anti gunners are are what they're really looking at and focusing on next and i've said that for years that you know even if this is something that doesn't directly affect you. Uh, even if it doesn't cover your particular state or jurisdiction, we should always look at gun control bills and laws that are being looked at, debated, and passed in, in, in any jurisdiction across this country because that is insight into what might be coming your way in your state, in your town, in your city, in your county, Sometime down the road, it might be months, it might be years, it might be decades. But you should, we should look at these as examples, as harbingers of this is what's coming or could come. And this Massachusetts bill is flipping scary. Uh, it is probably the most extreme gun control bill I have ever seen. Uh, I mean when when we talk about New York, New York State, New York City and we're like people are like ah it's so bad there or California, right? Oh it's so bad. You know, it's so extreme, so so much gun control. This Massachusetts bill takes all of that to a whole another level. I mean there's some things that are kind of I mean no no surprise. So they are broadening the assault weapons ban they've already had since 1993 in Massachusetts. Uh, t- so they want to broaden that assault weapons ban to lump into that definition of what is an AWB, um, even more guns that weren't previously already included. Um, they want to ban all federally legally tax-stamped automatic firearms. Okay, again, not a huge, I mean, surprise there. I mean, it's terrible, right? Like it it, it shouldn't, um, like this shouldn't be able to go forth, but that's what, you know, this is not a huge surprise. Uh gun bans on possessing any gun loaded or unloaded at state, county, municipal buildings, all polling places. Again, those are probably not a huge surprise knowing the 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 intents of these anti-gunners. But this third category of areas where they want to ban the possession of any gun loaded or unloaded, this one really takes the cake. This says here any private property Unless the owner has provided express consent or has posted signage allowing firearms on their property, so this is like the complete opposite <laughs> of <laughs> what might be the standard practice, right? I mean, we've we've certainly had discussions about this um, about how private property owners, whereas it is their pro- their property, uh, do and should have the right and privilege to have certain rules about you want to come on my property, here's the rules you abide by, right? And we could debate like what the so-called punishment should be if you violate those rules. I'm all for just the simple, hey, uh, you violate my private property rules and I ask you to leave and you leave. And if you don't, you trespass, okay? I think that's probably very reasonable. There are some states that might take that bit further. But this is this is this is crazy because this is the opposite side of that, where it's like, no, you assume you cannot bring a gun on any sort of private property unless you have express express consent or there's posted signage saying that you may do so. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. Here's the fourth thing: mandates state safe storage laws. Again, we're talking about this one bill that wants to do all these things. Mandate safe storage laws. Okay, yep, we've seen that in other states. Um, mandates new training requirements, including costly written exams and live fire training. Okay, I, again, I'm not. I'm saying okay, not to s- signify that I'm you know in agreement with any of this. Just just acknowledging, yeah, okay, not a huge surprise. Uh, mandates registration of all guns. And feeding devices. So, registration of guns, all of them, and any magazines that might be associated with using those guns. I don't know how that works. I guess that means you'd have to serialize the magazines or something, I guess right? So. so, that's pretty crazy. Mandates reporting of any modifications or new parts added to a gun. Wow. So I and I don't know what the specifics on that are. If it's like, I mean, it does say any modifications. So, man, something as basic as swapping out the sights on my pistol, yeah, I got it. <laughs> maybe adding an optic to my rifle. Uh, I want to, you know, maybe maybe to make it more ergonomic, I want to change up the safety lever on a on a gun or something. You know, reporting. Of any modification or new parts, mandates serializing of all firearm parts, and that's probably where they are including things like feeding devices, magazines. Mm-hmm. Serializing of all firearm parts. What the heck? Like, how <laughs> do you even do that? There's some parts that are probably impossible to serialize, just you know, by nature of size and shape and and whatnot. Um, and certainly, I don't know that you'd be able to serialize a spring. But would that not be part of a of a firearm part? You see where this is just absolutely insane, and this is what anti gunners come up with. You know that know nothing about these sorts of things, right? They just they just like, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Here's another way we can control these people. And then here's the ninth thing: ban anyone under 21 of age, 21 years of age, from acquiring or carrying any semi-automatic rifle or shotgun. Okay, yeah, we've seen that in some other states and jurisdictions. This one is nuts. Bans anyone under 15 years of age taking part in shooting sports and training. That's wild. And I read that, and that one got—I was like, what? 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 Um. I mean, first of all, how important is it that we get youth involved in shooting sports, in training, in learning safety, firearm related safety? Um, it's super, super important, but here's the thing, these people don't care about that. Mm-hmm. And it, and at the very least like what this is 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 a, is a, an effort to not educate the youth because they know that educating youth, at least for some of them, Will will make. I mean, the idea. It's it's sort of like what they've done with universities and colleges, where if we can get these far left, and I I know we try to stay away from left versus right and Republican versus Democrat on this podcast. We try to be, you know, political politically agnostic here, but focused on gun issues. But you look at what's happened in terms of the shift in ideology in our colleges and universities and this is not all that different it's like if we can if we can you know capture the youth these kids and not allow them to go down this path of education and enlightenment with respect to firearms and shooting i mean then that just further's their cause mm-hmm. of cuz the last thing you want is is kids to be educated about firearms which is yeah. so ironic because there's a lot of the same people would say, no, we need sex education in schools. And by the way, I'm not necessarily against sex education. I think that parents should have um, control over how that's done. Um, I'm not against that because I think it's 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 a part of of how we ensure our, our kids are brought up the right way with respect to sex education. And it's funny, though, because it's like, no, we need – Sex education and the state needs to have control over that. Meanwhile, you cannot educate kids about guns. And that's what this is saying. Yeah. Banning anyone under 15 from taking part in shooting sports and training. And then places, this is the last thing places, new mandates, protocols, and training requirements on retailers. Don't know what the specifics are on those. And there's one other thing that's not listed here in this bullet point list from the NRA, uh, ILA Matthew. And I came across it in another source where it says it's also banning humanoid-shaped targets hmm. uh, for civilian use, hmm. That, but, but exempts law enforcement. So, a law enforcement can continue to train on <laughs> targets that look like people, but normal people can't train on targets that might look like people. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> obviously,
1: like, you know, reading through these... Like you said, some of them are, you know, we've seen before, some of them are brand new. And and this is like one of those reasons why when somebody says, hey, we need to find middle ground, like, why can't we ever find common ground? It, this is why, like you, and, and why do you take such a hardline stance and say, we won't, you know, we won't even deal or like try to, you know, negotiate or try to manipulate or, or, you know, okay, let's, let's do out of these 12 or 11 things, let's do six of them, you know, out of good. No, you can't because it's the most extreme stuff. And then if you, if you acquiesce even a little bit, then half of it gets in or a quarter of it. And then the next year it comes around again and it's an extreme stuff and you, you accept a little bit and it's just a little bit by a little bit, you know, inch by inch. Um, before you know it, you have, like we'll cover in the next thing, you have Oregon's law, you know, and you have all these other laws that are just they're they're ridiculous on on their face, and they have no no tie in any way, shape, or form to public safety at all, and so that's why we just there is no there's no common ground. You can't you can't have common ground with this. This is impossible.
0: Yeah, because I mean, somebody's. Propositions are non-starters from the yeah. get-go. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. We, uh, you say no firearm uh, shooting training education whatever you know participation in shooting sports for those under the age of 15. That's a non-starter. Yeah. That, and, and like, where do you draw the line on that? You know, like I'm going to take my kids shooting. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to train them. It's the proper that's like, that's the responsible thing I should do as a parent, mm-hmm. so like that that one thing alone is a non starter of course, there's so many other things also included in this bill that are also non starters completely non starters uh I mean serialization of all firearm parts, reporting of all or any modifications or new parts added to a gun, registration of all guns and magazines i mean and that's just a couple of things again. I'm just rehitting on um, the fact, you know, that's that you you can assume you you don't carry any gun uh, loaded or unloaded in any private property unless they have told you you can do so. Like it's just wow. So anyway, that's where the title of this episode came from: is the most extreme gun control bill ever? <laughs> uh, because I would say that it, it is, in fact, that it is. Uh, there's, you know, again, some of these things, not all that dissimilar from other things we've seen in other states or in other jurisdictions, but some of these are just going up to a whole new level. Uh, And some of these, and this is why it's also important for us to, to to look at what's going on in our counterparts in the other parts of the world, you know, in in European nations and anywhere, (laughs) anywhere, because well, sure. But like, you know, one of the reasons why, uh, Ipsic or International Practical Shooting Confederation, which is the international body of the USPSA. So, international practical shooting competition uh, doesn't use humanoid targets. Why? Because some of those European nations prohibit the use of humanoid targets. Meaning, the standard USPSA targets that many of us are so familiar with those are those are outlawed in some other countries, and so they created a target that was, you know. They actually, some people referred to it as a as a turtle shaped target, which is, you know, a bit of irony there because I guess we it's not okay to shoot people, but we could shoot tar- turtles all day long. But they just created this, you know, this kind of octagonal type shaped target to comply with that with those laws that uh, don't allow humanoid shaped targets. And so uh, I think that this is the first I've seen personally. I'm sure. it it, it wouldn't surprise me if some like uh, city or county jurisdiction somewhere tried to do something similar but I don't recall seeing this pop up here in the United States of America and the other great irony Matthew is that this is Massachusetts Mm -hmm. which is where it all began with respect to gun control in 1775 well Mm -hmm. before that but but like that that's that's when everything kicked off right Mm -hmm. so anyway Wow. On to the next. we got more things to cover. Uh, Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about this Oregon gun control law? Um, This, some people have referred to as the nation's most extreme law. That's true. It it (laughs) actually passed law until this Massachusetts one gets passed. If right. it does, <laughs> federal judge upholds Oregon gun control law described as nation's most extreme. This, according to Fox News. Yeah,
1: so this this is no nothing new. This law, uh, we covered this. Was it last year they passed this, or I think it's been a, like a year. Yeah, right.
0: well, yeah, it was a it was a um, it, it was Measure One Fourteen, which mm-hmm. is like a what do you call that? Like a proposition you know mm-hmm. where the the people vote for it on ballot and i believe it was part of last uh was that last november yeah i think it was last year
1: but uh yeah this banned um their high capacity or large capacity magazines um it it required a permit y- the the person to get a permit before purchasing a firearm similar i think new york has has that uh so that's it's not um Insane, um, but it also um, restricted where you could take your firearms. So, you know, you had, it, they were restricted to taking certain firearms and you could only take them outside of your home for certain purposes, like going to a gun range um, to go hunting or something like that. Um, it was, it's, it's extreme. It's, it's an extreme bill. Um, I don't recall everything that's in it, but there were some other extreme measures that, that went along with it. Anyways, um, there's been several lawsuits, obviously against the constitutionality, against, uh, of, of the law and a federal judge, um, upheld the law. Um, and they're, they're part of the Ninth Circuit. So, um, it's, it, it will go to appeals in the Ninth Circuit. Um, most, and most people will believe that it will be overturned that it is that um, that extreme but yeah so it was it was upheld um and so the the status quo stays right now for 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 Oregon um and their their ridiculous uh measure 114 which is currently in it, you know the probably the most extreme um gun control law or ballot measure that uh, is going right now
0: right right this one went pretty far requiring like you said permits for purchasing firearms uh banning large capacity magazines yes some grandfather father clause involved but not with uh carrying or using those outside um the home uh, except for like practice and shooting or uh at the range or competitions right um yes So this was challenged almost immediately after it was passed by the voters, unfortunately. And it was very, very, very narrow. It was, you know, like, I mean, it was so close. Uh, It's unfortunate there's enough people in Oregon that voted for this thing in the first place. Now, some of that is because of uh, deceptive, we'll call it advertising, right, by the supporters of this measure, that uh, a lot of people probably heard it and went, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, I'll vote for that. Um, not really realizing or thinking about or understanding the repercussions of how far this law was going. Here's what's, here's what's interesting about uh, the judge involved in the ruling of this, Matthew, and this was a single uh, district court judge, uh, Karen Immergut or Imergut, uh, Emer- Emer- I don't know how she, would, she prefers to pronounce her name. Um, she is actually a Trump-appointed federal judge uh, back in uh, 2019. She was um, put into that uh, that judgeship as uh, one of President Trump's um, judges. Now, whether you love or hate President Trump, I don't know. But t- I will say with respect to federal court rulings on 2A issues, having President Trump for four years influencing the judges that were put on, uh, onto, uh, you know, these various district courts throughout the country has been a boon for two a wins, Second Amendment wins in, you know, all over, uh, including at the top, top level, meaning, you know, the United States Supreme Court, right? We, we know that. I mean, the Bruin decision being the most, uh, you know, recent huge, massively impactful ruling uh this judge she was put into um into office i guess or whatever as you know by president trump i I thought i'd do a little bit digging on her because i was curious i'm like how do you end up you know being appointed as a just as a federal judge uh and you know where most of the judges president trump appointed have been pretty solid on the second amendment she cl- seems to be a deviation from that born in new york city went to college in massachusetts practiced law in california uh went to also to actually went to did her law school at university of berkeley and for almost all of her life was democ was a registered democrat uh and then only more recently became a registered republican uh not to, you know again we try to be party agnostic here, but that's just kind of relevant information. I think it it shows that her background is that she's not, you know, she has not been brought up. Not that there aren't exceptions, but it it wouldn't seem based on just uh, looking at her background and uh, at a more surface, yeah, surface level, uh, it seems that she's probably not the most pro-gun person in the world, uh, at least as far as I can tell. So, kind of interesting. Somehow she became a judge appointed by Trump, but... Her background shows that it, it's there's a, there's an explanation potentially for why I think she is going against the grain uh, in this particular ruling. Uh, she stated that her ruling is in line. This this law, this organ law uh, that goes as far as it does, is in line with the Second Amendment because it's keeping with a tr- U.S. tradition of quote regulating uniquely dangerous features of weapons and firearms to protect public safety end quote. That's interesting because that's completely completely opposite of what things like the Bruin decision actually state <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> where uh, the Bruin decision essentially said, "Look, if we're going to restrict the Second Amendment, we have to make sure it's in line with the historical tr- tradition of the Second Amendment, and it's finding and, and the way that the the scotus. Uh, stated that is to be done is far more conservative than what this lady is saying here. So anyway, uh, before we uh, get to our next story, I just want to take a brief moment here and talk about our first sponsor of today's episode, which is guardian university, which is your destination for online training and education. guardianuniversitycom is where we put up a whole bunch of online Fabulous online uh, various training courses covering a variety of topics that are there to prepare you as Second Amendment supporters and lovers, and as self-defense minded individuals, or as people that are just passionate about learning how to shoot better. Lots of great courses online at GuardianUniversity.com. Of course, Guardian University is one of the many benefits that's included as part of membership in. Our Guardian Nation membership, so you're welcome to do that. But you can also just check out and even buy a la carte courses available in Guardian University. But learn more today. Go to guardianuniversity.com and get started learning, training, and being better prepared. So I appreciate you guys' support of our sponsors. Let's get back to it here, Matthew. Um, So we'll keep following this organ. One, The, the chances are the next steps here is. I imagine they will ask for an en banc panel review of this of this ruling, uh, which means that then at least uh, uh, it will be several other judges get involved and look at this and uh, see if they rule the same. And, of course, if it doesn't go our way uh, at that level, then it could be appealed up to the U.S. Supreme Court potentially. So there's also um, this case in Illinois Illinois tried to pass this assault weapons ban uh, just this last year, and that one has also been challenged and has been taken to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. This one is, uh, I mean, very, very critical, obviously. They're all critical. They're all important. Uh, This one coming out of Illinois, of course, Illinois is not always known for being super gun friendly. However, um, there's a lot of things about Illinois that might surprise you as far as how just I mean, there's there's certainly many other states that are far more restrictive, and especially in certain categories of firearm ownership and even firearm uh, possession and carrying, such as concealed carry, than uh, you might expect. But they uh, decided to push for this assault weapons ban that, that was challenged, I believe, by. Um, Oh, maybe I'm getting this one confused with another case. I was going to say Gun Owners of America, but I don't see that noted here. I might be thinking of something else. wouldn't surprise me if Gun Owners of America is involved in this one. But um, anyway, a three-member panel heard arguments from attorneys involved in six consolidated lawsuits challenging the ban. Uh, Deputy Solicitor General Sarah Hunger argued for the state, and she said this of the AR-15 rifle. These are not in common use for self defense. They are instead, she said, offensive and militaristic. Well, I think that she's wrong, big time wrong, you know, because there's only an estimated, estimated 24 million AR 15s in citizens' hands possessed all across the United States of America. I don't know that you can't say it's not, am I saying that right? I don't think you can say that they're not in common use. Yeah, when there's that, you know, like I think if you do the math, it's like one in twenty-ish Americans own an AR-15. But in certain cat, like in certain places, like that, it's probably even a higher percentage than that. But anyway, twenty-four million of these things estimated in American hands. Uh, here's the other thing that was interested. Interesting, one of the judges. Judge Diane Wood she stated it's unusual to have a popularity contest determine what is constitutional <laughs> except that that's exactly what things like the Heller decision stated was that things that are in common use are like you you, you can't make them illegal mm-hmm. with respect to the second amendment so i find you know again that just kind of gives you an insight little insight into where the minds of these judges are at um, and that some of them i think fail to understand what the constitution actually says obviously and some of them fail to understand these overarching you know supreme court level rulings what they have said in the past Um, so i don't know your thoughts on this one matthew
1: yeah, I mean it's pretty straightforward. I think I think at the the end of this article kind of just encapsulates the problem with this. Like, yes, we have a process by which unconstitutional laws, if they're you know challenged, go through a process and and, and things can be righted, um, but the process is lengthy. It's costly. It's um, it. it, it you know, it, when it's in a big scale like this, um, you, ha- you have how it impacts not only like individuals who may want to own one or do, do own something that, you know, it one day could, you know, the law becomes effective and they become criminals, but like those people that sell firearms, um, they're left in the lurch. They're, they're, you know, imagine, you know, you sell firearms and you're trying to purchase inventory and you're trying to, you know, it, it just, there's, there's many repercussions to, to these types of laws that are on their face are almost, oh, op- like clearly unconstitutional. Um, but, You know, they have to go through the constitutional, you know, the the legal process to to find, you know, what what the what the courts determine. And it's like in the process, man, everybody is 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 just in turmoil. And and I don't think I think that that's part like the process is part of the punishment sometimes for gun owners. Um, And so, you know, that's that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Hey, we do have a question from Francis on Facebook asking, uh, saying they want to hear our thoughts about the new Florida gun law. I guess I'll interject here briefly to address this question since I suppose this is relevant information, uh, being that, uh, this is a primary legislative news episode here today. Um, but the uh, the law and ref- that Francis is asking about is the uh, new concealed carry law, basically constitutional carry law that went into effect on July one of this year. So, like what three four weeks ago now, mm-hmm. just less than four weeks ago. Uh, and I mean, we've talked. I think we've talked about it before, at least touched on it uh, at the very least. Francis, I mean, I I, I don't know that I- how much comment I have about it or thoughts. I think that the law is the right thing uh, in. Allowing constitutional carry to be the law of the land in Florida. Uh, and so, and I think some of the restrictions there, I mean, you can still have a permit in Florida, and I think that's wise to do because it allows you to still have reciprocity with other states to go other places and go into maybe certain places, certain, certain. Places uh, within the state of Florida that not having that permit would prohibit you from doing so. By that, we've talked just in the most recent episode, Matthew and I did, where we talked about uh, the the importance of having a permit f- with respect to school zones uh, under the uh, the uh, the law passed back in 1994, the Safe Schools Act, uh, and so you need to have a permit and be in a state where it says that uh, you that that you may therefore be within those school zones uh, carrying or possessing that firearm uh, while you're out and about during your business. The constitutional carry law does not allow you to cross state lines and have reciprocity without a permit. Uh, it doesn't allow you to enter areas that prohibit firearms under other existing laws in, in Florida. So uh, that's about all I got to say about that, Francis. But since you asked, I think you know it's good to, to address that. And, and again, that's relevant news that just a couple weeks ago, since we're talking about legislative updates, that went into effect. Florida, you can constitutionally carry now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in that, uh, in the show notes from last last week uh show, I think we did link to like a, a post about um, you know, the guide to constitutional carry that kind of walks somebody through mm-hmm. who, you know, because typically there's an onboarding of like if there if there is a mandated class, you know, um, about laws and different gear, you know, through that class, somebody might be uh, exposed to, but um, with constitutional carry, yeah, you, you get a gun and you can carry constitutionally or, you know, th- through your, your state law and, and all that. And so you might not have uh, an instructor who, who might be able to direct you in some things. Um, so that, that article covers a lot of that. So if, if that's kind of like where you're headed, um Francis, I'm not sure like where you are, just want to know about the law or you're new to it, uh, concealed carry, you might want to check that one
0: out. Yep. Good stuff. Matthew, tell us about this animaland.com article. Bass Pro Shops Background Check Policy Raises Questions. Uh, I was reading this, and I, I was quite surprised and intrigued by this.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was something that I honestly I, I didn't realize that they uh, – that, that, Maybe Bass Pro Shops and other, uh, retailers, uh, do, but, um, apparently a, a guy goes into, to a Bass Pro Shops to purchase a firearm. Um, he gets denied. Um, uh, the, the purchase gets denied. And it says, uh, the court comes over after he completes the 4473. It says, uh, the court came over to me and said, the ATF has approved you, but we're denying the purchase. Um, and based on on this, it said, uh, I asked the clerk, Kyle, this had anything to do with me. I'm, I'm sorry. He said they denied him um, because there was somebody, his this purchaser's, this guy's brother-in-law um, lied or mis, misanswered a question on a 4473. So that denied him purchase. So this guy's brother um, was denied purchase because, you know, he... he Answered a question, a disqualifying question on a 40, form 4473, disqualifying him for possessing a firearm. Um, and this guy's brother um, or brother-in-law has the same address on his driver's license. Now, he doesn't actually live there anymore. And this was like several years ago that this guy moved out. But Apparently, because the driver's license addresses match, they look at it and say, well, you could potentially be, you know, making a straw purchase for this guy who can't, uh, purchase a firearm. He's prohibited. He lives at the same address as you. And our policy is we refuse anybody, um, who has, um, you know, who, 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 um, if somebody's at that same address and is, is refused. And so um, this was not through the ATF, this Bass Pro Shops made it a point to say, well, this is what, this is our policy, um, but there was like no wiggle room. There was it, trying to talk to the managers and, and they even said, yeah, we understand like this guy and the, the topper on this is the guy who actually, you know, miss, you know, uh, uh, disqualified himself on that 4473 uh, form. He, he's saying, "Yeah, he's not actually disqualified. He actually miss, you know, marked a box which disqualified him. He's actually not disqualified. He's like in the military or former military, um, and he's not disqualified from from having a firearm. So it was it, it was kind of crazy, and so um, it was interesting because um, I'm not sure if if other companies." do this or not. Um, Mm -hmm. it's certainly possible.
0: I I haven't heard of it.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, and FFLs have a great amount of, um, you know, leeway or, um, you know, discretion and they can say, Hey, just like this, like the ATF is not, you know, you're not disqualified, but we're just not going to sell to you. They, they can do that for a, a, a myriad of reasons. I mean, you come in smelling like weed, they might not sell you, sell you a firearm. They, I mean, even if you pass the background check. So they have that, 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 you know, that right to do that. And so um, they were exercising and I'm not, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying I agree with Bass Pro Shops, you know, but um, I'm not, it, it's just, it was interesting. Cause I didn't even know that they did that. So it's well, something be-
0: new. Yeah. Uh, I, again, it caught my eye now, uh, just because I think it is a bit of an extreme policy. To be clear, and it's covered here in this article written by Lee Williams at Ameland. Uh, he's spot on that firearms dealers do not have to have a reason for refusing to transfer a firearm to somebody. Like that, that is an expressly like protect protected action that a FFL can take that if something just feels off to them about a particular firearm sale, they can just be like, no, nope, I'm not going to sell you this gun today. All right. And I mean, that's been a standard practice for a long time and, and we do need to be kind of, I guess, you know, we, we need to be respectful of that. Right. However, we can absolutely still express our displeasure with this stated policy, mm-hmm. which I find it really interesting. And there's a really solid point made here at one point where, uh, the, the man that was, you know, that, that had this happen to him and he states this, he says, my main gripe is this, what if I moved into an apartment and the previous tenant was denied according to Bass Pro, I couldn't disprove. It's not a straw purchase and I can never buy a gun from them again. That is a really great point mm-hmm. because somehow they have a record of a denial of to someone at a particular address. And that, that's kind of weird to me. I don't know how they're tracking that. And because I, I mean, because I just moved in there and that person moved out six months ago, but that's still associated with the address somehow. And all of a sudden I, I am denied a purchase at their store. Again, they have the right to deny selling of a firearm to somebody for virtually any reason. But this seems like an extreme policy to me, one that um, has a lot of, you know, just wrong ideas about it. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's a really interesting thing. If you'd like to let Bass Pro know about your disagreement with this policy, I encourage you to reach out and contact them. All right. I might do the same because I think that's really strange. So now we have a couple of links and and by the way, so you know a lot of times we include links to stories and things in the show notes of the episode uh, and we will sometimes include additional links to those that we may not be able to necessarily talk about in great detail. They're really there for your uh, convenience that is as you you know read about. Uh, a particular thing a story that we covered Uh, there may be other related things and there'll be those associated links also included in the show notes this this uh, next upcoming story is kind of one of those this one here says media comma academics tau eddie eagle like safety program this is on the nraila.org site and uh, this is this is really really i think it's really cool um And it says, on July 17th, CNN ran a story with the headline, A One-Minute Video Reduced Kids' Unsafe Behavior Around Guns, Study Finds. This is a legitimate study published in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, uh, titled, Effect of a Gun Safety Video on Children's Behavior Around Real Guns. And we've included a link to the actual study. That is in the show notes. That's why I was mentioning all of that a moment ago. The JAMA P- Pediatrics study found in this randomized clinical trial, pairs of children aged 8 to 12 years of age who viewed a gun safety video at home and found a real gun hidden in a drawer in the laboratory were more cautious than children in a control group. The researchers also found that children who had previously taken a gun safety course and had guns in the home were less likely to engage in unsafe behavior around real guns. So this is so timely because, Matthew, earlier in this episode, we talked about this Massachusetts law where they want to limit and or restrict the ability for children under the age of 15 to participate in shooting sports, shooting activities, and training. This study shows how important, in terms of safety, it is to educate children. Mm-hmm. And that a legitimate randomized clinical trial of studying this very issue found that children that were essentially educated and all it took was a one minute long firearm safety video to influence them positively to make a difference in them being more cautious and safe around suddenly discovered firearms and again this was done in a laboratory setting and i'm sure safety protocols were followed but it made a difference in those children not playing with those guns not treating them like toys and uh uh and and even you know going to adults and letting them know hey i found a gun i need your help kind of thing this is which is the exact thing that the eddie eagle program has been teaching since what like 1988
1: 88 yeah And it says, uh, 30, more than 32 million students, uh, have, have watched this, or it says in in the article, it's reached more than 32 million students This Eddie Eagle, uh, program, which I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously the NRA has been flawed in some of its practices, right? Like things it's done, um, uh, organizationally and and stuff. And um, this isn't a, you know, but, um, this program, I mean, in, I think everybody knows in the the post even goes through and says like, even anti-gun people um, have quoted like, you know, about essentially saying the same message that's in the Eddie Eagle program um, like this organ, you know, this study, but just don't credit the program that's been out since 1988. That's fun. You know, that's, that's been pushed um, by the NRA because they don't, there's such a, hatred for the NRA and, 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 you know, what it's done legislatively maybe, or, or whatnot. Um, and so they recognize the, 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 the benefit of the program, but they don't want to recognize the program that's been out since
0: 1988. Yeah. 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 This uh, CNN article, uh, that, uh, talked about this study being published, uh, said nothing about the NRA's Eddie Eagle program and uh, that is a hugely missed opportunity and i think is i mean is likely intentional to not mention that and i think that is i think that's a great travesty even because here's this opportunity to use this huge platform that is you know cnn and their website to basically reach a whole bunch of people that might not normally be reached by such a thing and say look if you want Because people might look at this and go, well, I don't have guns in my home, so I'm not that concerned about educating my children. It's not about that, all right? Because your child may end up somewhere, and it may be in a friend's home. It may be in another family member's home. It may be in a grandparent's home. It may be later in their life that they encounter a firearm, and you should absolutely want to get the word out there of programs like Eddie Eagle. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, hugely missed opportunity by CNN. Anyway, no surprise, I suppose, for those that are watching or listening to the episode here today. Unfortunate as that is. Uh, the Reload.com reports, Federal Appeals Court denies ATF's request to stay decision-tossing ghost gun ban. It's, I'm going to hand this one to you. Matthew. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. So, so this one has to do with remember when the ATF redefined what a what a firearm was, um, basically making a, a, a you know blank receiver was a firearm, um, and so this this is the ongoing saga that that is part of that whole um, you know issue with. Them redefining what a firearm is and all the implications through not through legislation but just through a rule uh, definition change, um, and so um, th- this basically the government tries to appeal and says, "Hey, we want we want you to um, to you know institute this stay while all these all these uh, d- you know different arguments are being made." And, um, and the judge says, no, like, we're not going to do that. Not on this aspect of the law. It says, uh, according to the fifth circuit panel, because the ATF has not demonstrated a strong likelihood of, of success on the merits nor irreparable harm in the absence of a stay. we deny the government's request to stay the vacator um, of the two challenge portions of the rule. And so Basically, what in, in that aspect of the law, there, there's no stay. Now, there's, uh, there's multiple levels and different aspects of this, of these, um, uh, lawsuits that are going on. But as far as, um, the, the, it looks like the ATF is going to lose on dubbing 80% receivers and, in these mm-hmm. things, uh, firearms. It looks like that's at least. Well-
0: the, that final ruling, I mean, in, in quoting, by the way, from that uh, uh, that court ruling earlier this year, they said, this is uh, Judge O'Connor writing in the Vanderstock versus Garland ruling, because the court concludes the government cannot regulate those items without violating federal law, the court holds that the government's recently enacted final rule, this in respect to, of course, these quote unquote ghost guns (laughs) is unlawful agency action taken in excess of the ATF's statutory jurisdiction Mm -hmm. on this basis, the court vacates the final rule. So as of right now, that rule is done dead. And so, yes, it was appealed by the ATF, by the federal government. uh, And, uh, and what this, this most recent, you know, what this article that you're talking about right now uh, from the fifth circuit court, they have denied that. They've the ATF asked for a stay on that ruling, so they basically want, hey, while we continue to fight this in the courts, we want to stay on this ruling that vacated our rule, so that our rule is still in effect. <laughs> right. And the courts like, no, sorry. Yeah. So this is likely going to keep uh, working its way through the courts, uh, perhaps to the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll try to keep you posted as that uh, as that happens. But uh, and then, of course, other things that are in jeopardy and has been you know we've seen some, some positive wins thus far, in multiple federal courts uh, are, have to do with something kind of similar, because around the same time frame, the ATF proposed this ruling on uh, the uh, 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 pistol brace rule. Right, and so uh, that's kind of also simultaneously working its way through the courts, and so very, very important. So basically, basically, what the federal courts here are saying, which is what we've said since the beginning, was that the ATF cannot. I mean, the, the ATF and trying to reclassify these things in this case, the eighty uh, percent firearm, you know, uh, parts kits or uh, receivers, you know, lower receivers in the case of ARs and these, you know polymer 80 type kits uh, you know that people have used to build these kind of glock like pistols uh, basically said that the ATF is creating law by redefining these things mm-hmm. if they want to change this it has to go through the US Congress because those things are defined by the gun control act of 1968 and so the ATF is trying to create law and they cannot they are going outside of their statutory uh, authority to regulate already established law. So yeah. super, super important. And uh, I think the courts so far are getting this one right. And you know, what's interesting is, Matthew, uh, we've got a similar law passed in the state of Colorado right here in my current home state uh, that's supposed to go effect, I think, Og- or October 1st of this year. And it is a so-called ghost gun ban. And that could have, you know, this this issue that we just covered could have direct implications on that state law. So, yeah. Interesting. You know, it's, it, we've been able to make homemade firearms for, especially for our own personal use and enjoyment for forever in this mm-hmm. country. And they're trying to redefine that. Ernst meaning Senator Joni Ernst, works to disarm IRS. This on her website, ernst.senate.gov. So this is a little press release that she put out. Uh, she is leading the charge and the IRS's waste of taxpayer dollars to arm its agents. This has been hitting some of the news wa- waves here and there, um, talking about how the IRS has been spending millions of dollars on guns, ammunition, and other tactical gear and equipment. Uh, that Going back as far as 2006, but especially they've spent $10 million on weaponry and gear, it says, on her press release since 2020. Mm -hmm. These purchases, it says, are used by the IRS's Criminal Investigation Division that has jurisdiction over federal tax crimes. She's saying the IRS shouldn't be doing this. The IRS shouldn't have weaponization uh, that and essentially that this criminal investigation division should be relocated to be within the Justice Department, so same department as, say, like the FBI, uh, and that that would be an appropriate place for such things, but that the IRS should focus instead on just doing what they're supposed to do with collecting and auditing tax dollars so but supposedly they have found purchases on ar-15 style rifles semi-automatic shotguns and even submachine guns and have stockpiled five million rounds of ammunition (laughs) so the irs special agent starting to look a lot less like a desk worker or rulemaker and more like a swat team from a hollywood thriller (laughs) it's the blurring of the lines between a tax agency and the traditional law enforcement said adam Adam Andrzejewski, I don't know, founder and CEO of Open the Books. Uh, I don't think that they're wrong here. I don't think that they're wrong. And I think, I think the IRS has a lot of issues. And the whole agency could be completely remade, simplified, uh, streamlined. Our tax process could be so much better than it currently is. And, and frankly, a lot of taxes could just go away. Right. If we're you were to talk-
1: spending $10 million on arming the, the organization that's collecting the taxes, like, right, right. like but you know, what's right. funny, man is like the same people that want to like have IRS agents running around with AR 15s and, and, you know, um, semi-automatic, you know, firearms and stuff like that, um, are the same ones that say they're weapons of war. So, if you're if you're going to be yeah. consistent like let's just be consistent right like so you're telling me that an AR15 is a weapon of war you're giving it to the IRS which doesn't go fight wars as far as i know not on foreign soils but is directed at the people so what you're telling me is if you believe that an AR15 is a weapon of war you have an organization in the government that is aimed right at <laughs> collecting taxes at gunpoint with weapons of war—it's just a—it's a ridiculous
0: argument. Like, oh yeah, um, and, and yeah. you know. So, I don't know. I, I personally don't have an issue with law enforcement agencies having, say, AR fifteen. No, and not at things all. Things like that, right? Um, but let's face it—the IRS is not an, a law enforcement no, agency. Not that I know <laughs> of, but maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> Apparently, I'm wrong. So. Yeah, uh, what this act that Senator Ernst is pushing for would do is require the IRS and prohibit them from being able to buy, receive, or store guns and ammo. It would transfer all guns and ammo they've already purchased and possessed to the General Services Administration, and not because General Services Administration needs it, but for the purpose then, which this is one of the jobs that GSA does, is auctioning off these guns and ammo to FFLs, to dealers. To and then to devote, devote the proceeds from the auctioning of those of the IRS's stockpile of guns and ammo to deficit reduction. That sounds like a, a reasonable thing to do. The IRS, which should be focused on deficit reduction, uh, yeah, let's sell those that stockpile and then use those proceeds to actually pay off some government debt. And, and for then that they, reason, it will never happen. Yeah. <laughs> then relocate the IRS Criminal Investigation Division, which I touched on earlier, into the Justice Department, which is a law enforcement agency. Okay. So there you go. And then, the final article here is Justice Department. Speaking of Justice Department, <laughs> weaponized bipartisan gun safety law to illegally fund red flag laws. Republicans say uh, this on FoxNews.com. Uh, Republicans and gun rights activists say the Biden administration unlawfully handed out federal funds to states that did not qualify under a program intended to promote so-called red flag laws. Matthew, uh, what, what's the other you know details on this one here?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically, what's happening is the government, the, the, the law said like you can't use this money um, to give give it to states unless their red flag laws do not violate due process and um, you can't use this money to promote red flag, you know, gu- gun confiscation or unconstitutional gun laws in, in like red flag laws. Um, you can't, you can't use it for that. And it's been used basically for both. It's being used. It, it it says that the, the grants that have been given out have been given out to every state that has a red flag law. Um, and, that none of them are in, in alignment with the, the qua- qualifications or restrictions that the law places on the red flag law that is, is in place in that state. So they're just giving the money, uh, without doing that. And they're giving money to states that don't have red flag laws in an effort to what, what they're claiming is bribe them or encourage them or, uh, promote red flag laws in those states. So it's not a good thing. Um And it's, I don't know. It's it's just, it's amazing that, you know, that these things happen in, in on the federal level that like, it, it's not amazing. Um But it's, you know, you have a law that says this is the money. This is what it's supposed to go to. And I think with all these aid packages, inevitably years afterwards or, you know, a short period of time, you realize how, the aid money was not distributed correctly whether it's for you know a uh, disaster area for covid for any of this stuff where the government collects money and says hey we're going to distribute it to the states based on these it just it it never it's always some concocted or corrupted way of dealing with it and it doesn't get to the people that need it and it's used improperly and i th- I think they're using it to promote red flag laws in states and to give money to states that aren't, that don't deserve it because their laws aren't in in accordance with uh, due process. So I don't know. Yep.
0: Speaking of Colorado, again, here where I'm located, (laughs) uh, they expanded our red flag law earlier this year uh, to allow additional categories of people that can, uh, you know, file you know, for a, a an extreme risk protection order, as it's called. And so, uh, yeah, uh, this major, major, major due process uh, violations uh, in that, and it's something I believe is still being challenged, and I hope to see something come of that. But at this federal level here, I mean, the key here is that they passed this bipartisan bipartisan Safer Communities Act, And part of that designated some funds to uh, essentially uh, help jurisdictions or states that passed red flag laws to properly put them into place. But it was not intended to be able to be used to essentially bribe states to pass red flag laws. And that's what's at issue here. Republican lawmakers are saying that what's happened with the Biden administration here is that money has been distributed in an effort to create a federal bribery program to institute red flag laws in more states. That is unconstitutional. And according to Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, he stated the Biden administration must immediately stop this scheme to strong arm states into enacting these laws and answer for the millions of dollars illegally distributed in an attempt to do so. All right. Uh, also, Senator, uh, I think it's Mooney. Let's see here. Or, excuse me, Representative Alex Mooney of West West Virginia stated the scheme by the Biden Department of Justice is clearly intended to bribe and coerce states into adopting gun confiscation laws. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, spot on there. And and really, we do owe some. Some credit here to the Gun Owners of America, GOA, uh, that for, for really kind of bringing this to light, says that they actually were the first to notify Congress of these funding violations by the Biden administration. It states here, according to the GOA. We've been closely following this grant program since the passage of Senator Cornyn's gun control last summer, and it's turned out to be worse than we feared. Despite assurances this money wouldn't bribe states to pass red flag laws, Biden's Department of Justice granted anti-gun bureaucrats and several pro-gun states funding to enact gun confiscation programs anyway. And every state with red flag gun confiscation laws on the books received funds despite none of them meeting the apparently worthless due process requirements. That was the key. And that was the one mm-hmm. thing that like even allowed this to get passed in the first place was that uh, was that states that if they were going to enact a red flag law, they had to. There was kind of these standards put in place to help protect due process requirements. And according to the GOA, none of these states have met the requirement to ensure due process being followed as was mandated by by this federal legislation, this Bipartisan Safer uh, Communities Act. Right on. I suggest we folks uh, get out there and write our states, or excuse me, our, our US senators and representatives and continue to push us to the forefront of their attention to ask for uh, accountability again you know to be held here against the Biden administration that is not legally and lawfully following this act. That is a violation of law. And so that's why we brought it to your attention here today.
1: Yeah. And that's what this, this, that's what we, you know, we can't cover everything, all all the laws and everything, but, um, that's why we do this. We try to, you know, even if it's not your state, um, to, to get you focused wherever you live, you know, locally, federally, to, to pay attention to these things, because, and, and not just gun things, whatever, you know, gun laws and, and issues, whether, whatever it might interest you in, um, you know, to, to remain engaged because, if it, I, I think like we sometimes give up too, too quickly and be like, oh, there's nothing we can do. The, the government's out of control and stuff. And they are. And that's totally true. But, um, it's still, I mean, it's still a government, you know, that, that listens to us. And now how much and how much impact we have is debatable with some of the revelations that have come from. But, um, but we still need to, to hold, to hold people accountable and, and, Um, and I think that organizations like this gun owners of America, you know, involved in this, the NRA, ILA, those types of organizations, whatever grassroots stuff is around you or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, just stay engaged. Get involved. Yeah.
0: Be aware. Uh, do, do, do work. Uh, get, uh, I mean, contact people, support organizations that are fighting a good fight, uh, talk to your neighbors and your friends, your family members, and encourage them to do the same. Educate them on these matters of importance and why they're important. Okay. This is something that it has to be a like constant, you know, it, it's just got to be something that becomes a part of our lives, a part of our lifestyles of actually talking about these issues and educating and then being involved and doing the work involved. Uh, Because otherwise, I promise you, the other side is highly motivated to restrict our rights further and further and further. Well, um, I failed to actually do our official sponsorship message of KSG Armory Holsters. I'll do that here at the close, and we'll wrap up this episode here today. But today's episode was sponsored by KSG Armory Holsters, which you can find at ksgarmory.com. These are obviously holsters that we make and sell. But here's the thing. We acquired KSG Armory because it was already a well-known, well-respected brand that makes quality products. And we continue that mission today to continue to make top-quality concealment holsters for serious concealed carriers, which that means you because you're here and you're listening to this today. So use the discount code Podcast to save 10% off your next order from ksgarmory.com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors and supporting this podcast and for being here with us today. And again, just a, as a final, you know, parting sh- shot, if you will, uh, our other sponsor today was guardianuniversitycom which we talked about earlier. And so with that, it's time to wrap it up. Matthew final words.
1: Yeah. Just, uh, thanks. Thanks, uh, for you guys for listening. And, and, uh, we, you know, if you guys didn't listen, we wouldn't do this. So we appreciate it. And if you guys have feedback, um, want to leave a review on any of the podcast, you know, uh, apps that you listen to, that'd be appreciative. If you have something, email us uh, with a topic or a question, we'd be happy to happy to answer it and, and get back to you.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for being here, watching and listening to this episode today. Uh, We appreciate you all. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, want to reach out to us, you can always do so by emailing us at podcast@concealedcarry.com as the best way to get in touch with us. And so until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.